is it really possible to wear out God's patience? You can wear out my patience. <laughs> I've probably worn out your patience. That's a question I want to address today. In our book that we've kind of based our summer series on, uh, William Smith's book, Caught Off Guard, Encounters with the Unexpected God, I want to answer that question, could I ever wear out God's patience? I want you to know that, yeah, I'm a fence sitter. Yes and no. Yes, it's actually possible to wear out God's patience. For those who persist in refusing to come to God in believing faith, to trust in him, to turn their lives over to him, God will, when they face him in judgment, someday, could be the near future, distant future, whenever that day is, they will face God's wrath rather than his forgiving, patient grace because they've refused to believe in the one who offers eternal life to them. Have your finger in Genesis chapter 12, because we're going to come back there. If you have your Bibles open, turn to Psalm 52. I think it's worth reading this, because the, the, the heading in uh, my Bible says, the steadfast love of God endures. So that's a great, a great promise. But listen to what God says about those who refuse him. I'll read the whole song, because it's only nine verses, but it's worth listening to. Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? The steadfast love of God endures all the day. Your tongue plots destruction. Like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit, you love evil more than good and lying more than speaking what is right. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. But God will break, break you down forever. He will snatch you and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous shall see and fear and shall laugh at him, saying, See the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever, and I will thank you forever because you have done it. I will wait for your name, for it is good in the presence of the godly. So no, for the believer in God, it's impossible. That's a strong word. For those who trust in God, it's impossible to wear out God's patience for the ones who trust in him, for those he has called and loved. That's an amazing truth. And that brings us this morning to Abraham, because Abraham is called the father of faith. And even though Abraham wasn't always faithful to God, God is always, always is, always was and will be faithful to those who, like Abraham, trust in him. Genesis chapter 12 begins the story of Abraham in, in, in the book of Genesis. And all through Genesis to the end of the book, it's about Abraham and his family, his descendants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, and that family. It's a story about the Hebrew people. It's, but it's really a story about God. So when we read about Abraham, make sure you don't miss the fact, the point, that it's really a story. It's God's story. It's about who God is and how he treats us. It's his character and his great patience, his great love, his forgiving grace that minister to, 
ministers to people who trust in him. So when we investigate Genesis, we're really learning about God. So today we, we kind of zoom in on Abraham because it teaches us how God will treat us as well if we trust in him. The life lessons for Abraham are useful for, by the way, for everybody. So if you're a kid, if you're a teenager, if you're a young professional, if you're a little bit more uh, older than that, <laughs> kind of like me, just a few years older than that, it's a lesson for me. It's about how to entrust your life to God and, and believe and see what God's patience will never run out for you or me if we trust in him. So let's take a look at Abraham real quick. So back to Genesis chapter 12. Who is Abraham? Well, Genesis history, the first 11 chapters cover uh, a lot of time. We don't even know how many thousands of years are represented there, but there's a lot of years represented, a lot of history. But the immediate context before chapter 12 is, well, let me go back to chapter 9. Noah's flood. Here was Noah, a man of faith, who God blessed, who God called and chose, and he, he showed his faith by building an ark, and God sent a flood and great judgment on the world. So we see uh, the results of unbelief and sinfulness that disregards God. God flooded the earth and destroyed everyone except Noah and his family, the people of faith who trusted in him. What a great lesson. So that's, that's kind of the backstory before we meet Abraham. And just before in chapter 11 is the story of the Tower of Babel. Now the Tower of Babel happened not too long after the great world flood. And yet the people now that are living in the world say we're going to disregard God's command to go and fill the earth and subdue it like he commanded Noah to do. And we're going to stay put in the plain of Shinar, and we're going to build a tower and make our names great. Wow, how quickly we forget. How quickly they forgot what God had just done. In judgment, he had destroyed the world, and yet now they're again disregarding God's command. I can't believe they did that. Can you? Or are we like that too? But in this context of the world being under judgment and God came down and confused the people at Babel and, and all different languages, so they had to scatter. And thus the nations and the different races of people uh, in the world. It's in that context that God, in his goodness and grace, calls out Abraham to be the chosen family through which he would bring his promised redeemer, savior, who we know to be Jesus Christ. And by choosing Abraham, God's not excluding anyone. It's like, well, if you're not in Abraham's family, you're excluded. Too bad you're under a curse. No, that's not it at all. It's through Abraham that God wants to bless the whole world. You and me. Abraham is known as the man of faith. He was an instrument by which God used to bring his redeeming grace his, his savior into the world. He's the man of faith. And Isaiah wrote that he was the friend of God and his name is referred to more than any other name in, in Hebrews chapter 11, the great chapter of people of faith than anyone else because he's a great example of trusting in God. Oh, by the way, let's just remind ourselves, who else is Abraham besides a great man of faith and the friend of God? He was a follower of God, a worshiper of God. We read today that he built an altar. He was a tither. 
You can read about that. He was a husband. He was a dad. He was a grieving widower. He was a rescuer. He was an intercessory, prayed for others. Abraham was shaped by God's grace and goodness in his life, and he lived differently because of it. And by the way, we didn't get to it quite yet, but we're going to look at some of his faults. So that's Abraham, but who are we? Who are you? By faith in God. If you're trusting in him, if you believe that Jesus is the savior of the world, you become a child of God, you become a person of faith, you become sons and daughters of God, you're friends of God, and you are in the same category as Abraham. Think about that. If I believe in Jesus Christ as my savior, if I'm trusting in God, then I'm a chosen one, a called out one, one who God is going to favor, just like Abraham and Sarah. Do you believe that? I heard a few yeses. See, Jesus in John chapter 15 said, if you love me, you will obey my, mechan- my, my commands, and you are my friends if you believe in me. You're no, I no longer call you servants. I call you my friends. And I reveal to you everything my Father wants you to know. Wow, that's a promise from God. We just sang it. In Romans chapter 8, that great chapter. If God is for us, who can be against us? <laughs> he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who's going to bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies Who is it that can can condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, who was raised, who is the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Think about that. Just like Abraham, just like all the saints through the ages, God is for us if you are trusting in him. No one can stand against you. No one can foil God's plans for you. That is a great truth. As Jesus' followers, then, we're called to be blessings to the world just the way Abraham was. Humanity's still trying to build towers for their own glory. Is our world confused? Is our world on fire? It feels like it. But God has not changed. They're refusing to turn to God. Let's not be as foolish and do the same, but God's grace is intervening so we can be rescued from it, and and many can hear and believe that news. I said that Abraham's story is is the backstory just before it is all about God judging the world, the flood, and then the Tower of Babel. There's another judgment coming soon. Jesus talked about it in Matthew chapter 24. I should probably read a few verses, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows it, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. For as it was in the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. But know this, 
that if the master of the house had known what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? So what are you doing to show the world that you really believe this is true? What Jesus just said, what we just read. How will it make me live differently? Because I know the end could be soon. The longer I live, it's more likely that I'm going to have a funeral or a memorial service than be snatched up into the air to meet Christ in the air when he comes back. It's just the way it is. The longer I live, I need to ask God to help me believe that the end is near. So I live with an urgency for Christ to live and obey him and to spread his news so that others can believe and hear and be rescued from the coming judgment because otherwise they will be surprised like a thief is going to come and steal them away. Jesus said that's what happened at the flood and that's the way it's going to be at the end of the world. But there's an urgency that I need to spread this news and live differently because it's true. The world is on fire and it needs the gospel to help it get through it. Let this truth settle in our hearts and minds and move us to individually and collectively as a fellowship of believers live differently, to think about how we can reach out differently, to touch our world, to speak into it, even though it puzzles us. It seems like it's against us, but yet the gospel can break through. We can be light in dark places because Abraham's call is my call too. I just spent a lot of time on this first point, and I know it's truths many of you already know, but it's so important for me to remind myself and to remind you that it's true and who we are and what we're to do because we learn from Abraham's life that God's dealing with him in his good times and low times of faith, in his high spots and low spots. God is for us like he was for Abraham. And my life experience are not going to match Sarah and Abraham's. But yet the God who was Abraham and Sarah's God is working and wants to work through me to bless the world. And we can be that blessing. So who was Abraham? Who are you? A friend of God. An ambassador for God. And ambassadors for God, they let their lives change their world. Pilgrims touch their world for God's glory. Second point today. Believe, believing faith and godliness is not a waste of time. In Hebrews chapter 11, and keep your finger in Genesis chapter 12, we're going to come back to it, but turn to Hebrews chapter 11 for a minute because it's there that we see how God used Abraham's growing faith, maturing faith, the process of believing and growing in his trusting God to touch his world. 
The starting point is referred to in, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. It says, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing what he was where he was going. David just read that part of uh, Abram's story in uh, Genesis chapter 12. Here was Abraham's starting point of discipleship. God's call into his life, and he believed God, and he went. And God was asking him to do something very unreasonable in one aspect. Go someplace that I will show you. You don't know where you're going. Just trust me. Don't follow me. Just ask Leslie. Sometimes I think I know, you know, I'm a guy. I, I know where I'm going. Isn't that what Jesus is asking you and me to do? To follow him to a place we can't see? We can't understand what it's like to be in his kingdom forever. In heaven, we call it his kingdom where it's perfect and, and there's no sin or despair anymore. He's asking us to believe him and to go there. To trust his word and to follow him. Have you dared to believe it and to go and live differently because you believe it's true? And you want to bring others there with you. That was his first step, this call to discipleship. And then there was a second step. It's referred to in verses 9 and 10. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that was found, whose foundation, whose designer and builder is God. So here was his second step of faith. He had to go to a land he didn't know, and he went there. And then he had to live like a foreigner. He had to live like a nomad. He had to live in tents. And so did his son Isaac and a third generation of Jacob, his grandson. And then his great-grandsons were still living in tents. Wow. <laughs> A time was filled with danger and disappointments. Isn't that what Jesus is asking you and me to do? To, not, to be a foreigner in this world, to be a pilgrim, because this isn't my home, that my real home is somewhere else in God's presence? A very different kind of world, and I can't see, and I don't fully know it. It's, it's, it this was Abraham's now, but not yet. This is your land, Abraham. And he, and, he, and he worshiped, and he built altars. And those were kind of markers of, this is your land. Now, but not yet. <laughs> and God's kingdom is mine now. Yours now, if you're a believer in Christ, but not yet. But we have to believe and trust. And people don't understand us like they didn't understand Abraham. And he was pushed off to the side because of his faith in God. Some people even hated him. And they may hate us because we're a follower of God, because God's ways are opposite. But that's what Abraham was called to, to be a pilgrim. This isn't his home. He was a foreigner here, just traveling through. And we have to look at it that way, too. Third step of faith is referred to in verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, that is Abram, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven 
as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Finally, Sarah and Abraham believed God's promise that they would have a son, his name was Isaac, in their old age, way past natural age to bear children. Isn't that what God, Jesus, is asking you and me to do? To believe that when we preach the gospel, what seems to be impossible, hearts changed, sons and daughters of God are given birth when we speak his truth, live our lives for him. As a congregation, we've been told, I believe it's true, that we're kind of on the downward swing of a church's life, life cycle. You ever feel, feel a little weary and worn? Grace Chapel congregation? But believe that God, like he gave physical birth to Isaac, can give many spiritual birth as we live and serve our God. Many sons and daughters can be given birth. That was their third step of faith, of growing. And then the fourth step in verses 17 and 19 in Hebrews 11, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering him up as his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back from the dead. Here was Abraham, now the man who, if we had time to read the story, if this was a series, it would be awesome to study the life of Abraham, who had doubted God, who had gone the shortcut route to raise up Ishmael as his son, but it was through Isaac the promise would come, and now here's the son was born, and now he's willing to sacrifice him as God commanded him, believing that God could raise him from the dead. Would I dare have done that? Do we believe what Jesus said is true? That we will be raised to life if we're willing to lose our life for him now. To sacrifice now for something better ahead. Isn't it amazing? Just think about it. Abraham's story reminds me how faithful God has been to me. How faithful God has been to his word through the ages to all the people who look to him and trust in him. He's so faithful. Thousands of years later, people read the story of Abraham and they come to faith and belief in God because of his trust in God. God is always using his word and keeping his promise. When God says, I will do this, he does it. Always. It always comes true. In God's good timing, God's word to us in Jesus Christ will have lasting effects in our generation and in generations to come, and I cannot see it or believe it. 
So just believe it's true that if you trust God and follow him, your life will have impact. Even if you never see anything in this world like it doesn't make any difference, don't believe it because by believing in God and trusting in him and following him and daring to do that, your life will have impact for the kingdom of God because God is doing the work, not you or me. That's a life-changing truth, and I need to let it sink into my head and then into my heart and then into my hands and my feet regularly. How about you? Let's remember this. Abraham is a person of faith. I need to believe like Abraham. God is inviting us to do that, to receive and trust God. And God will accomplish all his promises. His I wills will happen, and we see how God kept his word Jesus Christ empowers us. There's another truth I wanted to look at this morning real quickly, and that is pilgrims fail, but they always prevail. We didn't read it, but let's read verses 10 through the end of the chapter. Will you follow along with me? So Abraham's in the land, and he's set up altars, and he's worshiped God. Now, there was a famine in the land, in verse 10 it says, so Abraham went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. And when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman, beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. And then they will kill me, and they will, they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. Sounds like a good plan. Verse 14. When Abraham entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he, dwelt, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. Quite a dowry. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. <laughs> what was Abram doing? What was Abraham up to? What was he thinking? You know, the text doesn't tell us that he did anything wrong, but it hints and implies that this was not a good plan. <laughs> How do we know that? Because there's no altars. There's no worshiping going on before he goes to Egypt. There's no dialogue with God about, should I do this or shouldn't I? Is this a good direction or a bad idea? There's silence. There's lack of trust. And the truth is he lies. Not a good plan. William Smith, the, the, the gentleman who wrote the book that we're kind of basing this summer series on, uh, Surprised by God, uh, he notes how often human Bible heroes fail, disappoint us. Think about it. Abraham lies twice, by the way. This wasn't, <laughs> he did it again. And then Isaac, his son, did it. Sarah laughs at the first word from God that she's going to have a son in her old age. She just literally laughed it off, like, not going to happen. 
Rachel and Jacob were deceivers. They were liars. Moses was great, but you know, he, he, he did a sin so that he couldn't enter the promised land. David was a great king. He was a king after God's own heart. But then, yeah, what did David do? There were a lot of sins in his life. They disappoint us. And you know what? I'm on the list too. How about you? We disappoint. Truth be told, you wouldn't want Abraham to be your neighbor if you were Pharaoh. Look at the trouble it brought on his house, this believer in God. You wouldn't want Jacob or his sons to be your neighbors because, man, did they do some really terrible, evil things to their neighbors. Ungodly actions. So, is there anything positive for you here if you're an unbeliever from this story? Yes. <laughs> like Pharaoh, you learn that God takes care of his own. God may discipline, he may chastise, he may make life miserable for his children who are going astray, but he never gives up on them. He never lets them out of his hand because he says, I will. And he does. Is there anything positive here from this story about Abraham's missteps for, for people of faith? <laughs> yes. God keeps his promises. God will do what he says. And by faith in Jesus Christ, because he's resurrected from the dead, I too will live. You too will live. You will not be forsaken. The enduring power of God. It's astounding. It's repeated again and again in the history of the scriptures. Jeremiah, the prophet, let me just read a couple verses there. You understand that Jeremiah lived when the Babylonians invaded and were destroying invaded the land of Israel and were destroying Jerusalem. They were tearing down its, its walls. They were taking people captive. And good people of faith were captive. And, and bad people were killed and slaughtered and taken captive. And Jeremiah is left behind. And God was judging Israel and Judah because of their great sin, their disregard, their idolatry, their disregard for God. And listen to what God says. Thus says the Lord, this is Jeremiah 33.10, In this place, that is in Jerusalem, of which you say, it is a waste without man or beast. In the cities of Judah, in the streets of Jerusalem that are desolate, without man or inhabitant or beast, there shall be heard again the voice of mirth, the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the voices of those who sing as they bring thank offerings to the house of the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good, for his steadfast love endures forever, for I will restore the fortunes of the land as at first, says the Lord. Old Testament truth. New Testament truth. And I am sure of this, the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians 1, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. Those who trust in the Lord for forgiveness of sins are secure in God's grace. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. All things work together for good. 
for those who are called according to his purpose, like Abraham, for those who are called according to his purpose, like you and me, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. For those he predestined, God has also called, and those he called, he also justified, and those he's justified, he also has glorified. It's a done deal. Are you a friend of God by faith? Then know this, that the Holy Spirit, God the Father, Son, and Spirit will be faithful to you. And he will use your life, even in your missteps, as it grows your faith to be a light to your world, to make a difference to the whole world, one person at a time. As we walk, even as we falter and fail, as we trust in our God, he will do it. Why? How can this be? Because faith gives us victory. Belief in Jesus Christ gives us victory. What's your three most precious possessions? Well, I hope you say your wife or your family. I hope they're in the top three. (laughs) But really, it's your faith in Christ. Peter tells us that it's more precious than gold. It's more valuable. How can it be more valuable? Because it has eternal effects. It's the most precious possession you can have. And Abraham's faith was tested and tried and he wavered, but he grew through it as God held on to him and worked in his life. you have a genuine faith, then know that it's precious, that it will keep you steadfast as you lean and trust in your God. God has no, gold has no lasting value, but faith lasts for forever, and it leads you to eternity. Not only that, but Peter tells us, not only is faith precious, but faith in Jesus Christ shed blood for your sins is precious as well. He says that in chapter 1 of 1 Peter in verses 18 through 21, knowing that you were ransomed from your futile ways, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or spot. It's through faith in him belief in him. God raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. So it's the precious faith in the precious blood of Christ that holds on to us. God's work for us. Jesus Christ, the one who lived and died and paid for our debt of sin so that we could live life everlasting. So we model through life now. But we're guaranteed a future that's grand because Jesus is raised from the dead. Have you believed Jesus is the Christ, the Savior? And all that he said that he would do and did do for you is true. And if you have believed in him, then you're secure. And know that even as God watched over Abraham in this one instance in Pharaoh's house, 
Even though he didn't deserve this goodness, God took care of him. Pharaoh actually blessed him. If I would have been Pharaoh, I would have taken everything back that I gave him for his, for his supposed sister, Sarah's wife. But God used it to bless Abraham with possessions. Just as years later, when Israel left Egypt out of slavery, they plundered the Egyptians. God taking care of his people who maybe didn't deserve it, but he keeps his word. Believer in Christ today, I would just ask you to take Abraham's story and how faithful God is and patient he is and how his patience won't run out on you ever. And to think about how you're going to live differently this week or today because that's true. What you might dare to do or to say because you know God will take care of you as you follow his lead. What's a key truth you heard today that changes your understanding of God's faithfulness at work in your life because like Abraham, you are a daughter or a son of God. You're a friend of God. You're one of his chosen ones who he will never let go. How will I live differently? How will I dare follow Jesus differently because of this is true? The longer I live, this is my second the longer I live story today, the more time I've had to doubt God, to go astray, to disappoint his children, and to just outright sin. And the longer I live, the more precious is this truth that God will never let go of me or you if we trust in him. That you're secure in God's I will do this for you. How precious is faith in God and his son, Jesus Christ. Faith as small as a mustard seed, tiny little seed, is so much more precious than anything this world can offer. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, thank you so much for giving us these stories, the story of Abraham, to encourage our trust in you, to, to help us see who you are and your character, that your word is trustworthy. Lord, stir up our belief today. Take away our doubts. Pour out your grace on us to help us follow you without fear. Lord, help everyone here today to rest in your promises, to believe them and to take hold of them and to live differently for your honor and glory because it's your work at work in us and we give you praise for the things that you have done and will do. In Jesus' name we give thanks and pray. Amen.